big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today our topic is on harsh self-talk. Oh my gosh. What a, <laughs> I don't I can't believe we haven't actually talked about this before, I know, really. I know, it's true, isn't it? Well, we actually did have a few a message or two from some parents asking if we could discuss it, which I think is why we always love to say if you want us to talk about something, please message us because um you know, we often sit there and go, what are we going to, what should we talk about? Haven't we talked about everything? But no, there is still more to discuss. How are you, my friend, Marion? What's going on in your world? I am happy. I'm happy. I've, um, the sun is shining. That always makes a big difference for me. I'm going to be going for a bike ride with my son, which I'm really enjoying. Um, um, started this new, uh, Aware Parenting Instructor mentoring one-on-one sessions with some gorgeous women that I'm really enjoying and just sinking into the rhythm of, um, you know, being at home a lot. And, you know, I, you know me, I love being at home a lot. So once I get into it, I'm just like, great, I'm happy here. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I know that's for some people that feels torturous. I know. I know. Like, oh, this is my heaven. I know, I know. I was actually saying to someone else, because a lot of the women I work with the mothers I work with are all highly sensitive a lot of them are homeschoolers a lot of them uh entrepreneurs so a lot of them are like this is great we love this kind of life (laughs) and I was saying gosh you know if I if it was um if something was going on in the world where we needed to be out every day and never at home I would be finding that really challenging so it's really interesting isn't it to see Mm. with each thing that happens I'm thinking about the the fires before Mm. that you know for some people it's going to be easy and some people's going to be challenging and yeah yeah. totally totally well I sit in the opposite contrast because I'm in the city you're the country mouse I'm the city (laughs) mouse (laughs) and uh we are in day 7640 of lockdown (laughs) whatever we are at um and yeah it's it's interesting it brings you know I guess I'm the opposite I have a lot of people who are out in the world doing stuff and I have my school which can't be open and so I'm seeing the contrast of that, which is very challenging and frustrating for a lot of people and, and frustrating for me. Like I can't go down to my school and we're not able to really do what we want to do with the kids, which is really challenging. And and then I have, you know, teenagers at home who are used to being so out in the world who, you know, aren't able to catch public transport to places or see their friends. And that's, you know, that's a super duper challenge for them. So so I was just saying to you too, like, uh, you know, last lockdown last year, I just got super busy and made lots of courses. And I'm happy to say I'm still in that. I cannot be bothered doing anything face. <laughs> I'm just, I am actually really enjoying just not pushing myself to do anything. Any projects that I've got coming up, I just went, can we push these back for at least a month or two? And everyone's like, yep. I'm like, great. I'm going to just take this time to gaze out the window a bit more and just love on my beautiful kids and um you know be in that state so it's you know it's it's different and interesting for everyone isn't it where we are in the world at the moment and where we're sitting and I'm and you know for me I just I'm finding great um there is a calmness in sitting in observation at the moment of everybody's feelings what's going on in the world and I think being able to have a bit of space to do that's really helping me so that's good that's good for me 
Mm. Yeah, I think that can be helpful for everyone, can't it, to really dive in and feel and research and then step back and, as you say, observe and notice. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Shall we just dive into this, this light topic? (laughs) A little lightweight, light light entertainment. (laughs) Let's start perhaps because I love your bigger picture stuff. Do you want to start with the bigger picture of why we might have negative self-talk or harsh self-talk? And we're going to talk today about perspective of the adult what that might be for us and then also for the child or when we hear our kids saying I'm dumb or I'm stupid or I hate myself or all those kind of things. So we're going to look at both parts. So do you want to bring your beautiful magic in first of that bigger global picture of, you know, why this may occur? Yes. And I do want to say, again, this isn't really aware parenting, although, again, it's congruent with aware parenting. We'll bring parts of that in. Um, Yes. So you know, I go on about, I talk about, I'm very passionate about the idea of the disconnected domination culture, as I call it, which has been around for a couple of thousand years. And it's based on, uh, in terms of language in particular, judgment, shame, guilt, all those really enjoyable ways that language create really painful feelings. And really, I would see that the language that we have, that we then unwittingly unfortunately often passed down from generation to generation is really um, a core part of what keeps this disconnected domination culture in place because you know you have enough people who have internalized shame and guilt as young people and then carry it as adults uh, and then pass it down even if we're intending not to even if we're doing everything we can to not do that you know it's it really is powerful and it keeps a lot of things in place when you have a lot of people who are really at core um, have harsh self-talk who think there's something um, fundamentally wrong with them who feel shame often who feel guilt often who act from guilt and self-coercion rather than from willingness and it's a really powerful and profound way that I would see that the system one of the key ways that the system keeps in place and keeps kind of perpetuating itself and I'm really grateful to uh, the work of Marshall Rosenberg, Nonviolent Communication, where who I first started. I came across it just after we parenting, actually, so like 20 years ago, 19 years ago. And for me, it really helped me understand that, uh, for example, guilt is not an inherent feeling. Guilt is the result of the, these ways of thinking uh, about ourselves as human beings. And we've done other episodes on guilt because it's one of my passions and what I love about these ways of understanding language um, both external and internal is that there are many many ways that we can then have a profoundly different experience of ourselves we can talk to ourselves differently that is changeable Uh, we can talk to our children differently we can support them by the ways that we talk to them in having a compassionate inner dialogue rather than a dialogue that is full of guilt and shame and self-judgment and also the same of others you know that we we can learn to respond to others in ways that are actually much more about our feelings and our needs rather than our judgments of them and um, my experience is a person that came from feeling I was one of the most guilty shame-filled self-judgmental people that I know and through years of really changing that in the dialogue, my experience is completely different. I don't ever feel guilty. I very rarely ever feel shame. I don't judge myself. Um, so you know, I'm like a living example that it really is possible to fundamentally 
um, change that. And I'd love to talk more about this today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's fit for a little starter. I love it. I love it. I love the big picture. It's very important. Yeah. And and helps us see the why on some level. And and I know in work with parents, sometimes when they talk about, you know, why on earth would my son say that they're hopeless or stupid? I never tell them that, you know, I always only tell them how great they are or how magnificent they are, how perfect they are, all those kind of things. Where, Where are they hearing this from? Why would they believe this? And and as you say, too, that can come down to being in our schooling system. It can be a kindergarten if there's shame used to get kids to do stuff. You know, it is our systems, as you say, are very much built on this. And so it, it is understandable on some level why as children this is the way they're processing some feelings. So I'd love to talk a little bit about um, seeing it as a parent when your child might be saying something like I'm stupid or I'm dumb or I don't want to live anymore or all those kind of things. So the first thing I, I kind of want to really just highlight is sometimes these are ways that children are trying to express this is something that feels really big for me or this is how much I am angry. <laughs> this is I feel so big and mad I want to be dead. Like, you know, there's expressions and stuff like that that children, again, perhaps not particularly understanding words they may be using, but they're trying to on some level say, can you see how big this feels for me? So, of course, as an adult, you know, we often look through the lens of our own childhood or our own inner child towards our kids. And when we hear them say something like that, it can bring up great alarm in us. It can be like, oh, my God, they've got poor self-esteem or they don't want to live any more and all those kind of things and I know that that can be absolutely really really alarming so the first thing I say to parents is let's take a step back and look at it from the place of they are telling me something okay and maybe what their words are saying and not what they're meaning I also really want to flag sometimes what words they may be saying particularly with teens you know that may be something that really says hey we need to lean into this a little bit or we need to to get some extra support or help so please don't disregard it as oh they're just telling me that because they're annoyed they can't have their friend over or something like that so you know being a little bit more mindful or, or just tuning into where you think it sits with your kids you know, for me, I look at sometimes with parents I've worked with, they say sometimes it's easier to to take it when their kids say, I hate you, mum, or you're the worst dad in the world. And it's easier for them to separate it a little bit and go, oh, they're really mad and they're projecting at me. But when they say things like, I hate myself, I am dumb, that can feel much harder to, to see, again, behind the behaviour and in, in the words I use, to see that there is something there that is feeling really, really big and and they're trying to express those feelings. And so I look at, I mean, we both do, we, we often go, all behaviour is telling us something. There is something they're expressing. And I also add, and we talk about this, I would rather have the words come out than be stuck inside. So if your child is saying to you, I hate you or I hate myself, then I would look at it as, ah, this is, there is an opportunity for something to come out. You know, we want these words or these feelings to come out as opposed to being repressed, suppressed, how we talk about it, where they just internalise it and don't say anything and then have to move into those ways of numbing out to protect themselves. So, you know, when when I was thinking about this topic, I was actually thinking about myself as a child and I do remember having times where I'd go, I'm stupid or, you know, um, nobody wants to be with me, I'm not friendly, you know, as a little girl or something like that. And 
as I was reflecting on it just the other day, I was thinking there was something very comfortable about sitting in what we would call the victim state, which is it's not fair. You know, I things aren't working out for me. There is sometimes, I think for some people, a comfortableness sitting in the victim state because it's our world on some level lives in that victim state constantly, you know, which is that if you only did what I want you to do, then my life would be better. Or if you, you know, behave this way, then things will be okay. And for, for a lot of us, we've been brought up in a world that says, you know, it's all about what everybody else should do to keep us happy. So sometimes sitting in that victim state, there's a comfort in it because a lot of other people we know do it and we can feel into the poor me, this isn't fair, why won't people do what I need to do? And when I look at, well, what would it take for us to move out of that victim state? It often takes us being able to feel into the deeper feelings that sit underneath, which could be I'm feeling a lot of hurt because, you know, the person that I love isn't responding in the way I want them to, or I am feeling a lot of hurt or embarrassment or shame because I thought that I was really good at something and maybe I'm not and I don't really want to feel that. So it's easier for me to deflect those feelings that I want to feel and put them in it into an internal, I'm not good enough, I'll just sit in that victim state. There's a lot more comfort in it. And I remember feeling that quite a lot as a child, that there was comfort sitting in the victim state because as long as I stayed in that victim state, I didn't actually have to then feel into the other parts that felt really painful, whether that was about my needs not being met, expectations not being met, loss, those kind of things. So that may be helpful for some people and you may relate to that to be going, yeah, I can. I remember feeling like that or sometimes even as an adult, it's easier for me to sit in that internal harshness than actually feel into the feelings of grief or loss or all the other pieces that may sit there because we're very clever, particularly if we've been taught you know, that it doesn't, it's not safe to feel. We're very, very clever at not leaning into the stuff that we want to feel because it feels hard and painful. And, and as you just said, right at the top of this um, recording, Marion, you know, that you were very, very good at shaming and guilting yourself and being in that place. And the work I have no doubt that it took for you to move through that probably was quite painful or probably was challenging in having to look at those places that had a lot of feelings there or for you to be able to move out the other side. And and sometimes I look at it and think again, as a culture and society, we're not supported enough to do those things. And so it's often easier to sit in that victim consciousness of where we are. So coming back to beautiful children, you know, another thing that you might see with your kids, if they're, you know, they're saying, oh, I'm stupid or I'm dumb. Sometimes that's the way they deflect, you know, if they've done something wrong or they don't want to admit that they've done something wrong. So, you know, and again, they might feel embarrassment or shame, whereas if they've made a mistake or they've done something wrong, instead of actually saying, oh, yeah, I've done something wrong or or moving into those feelings, it can be easier to go, oh, I'm just stupid or I can't do that. So, again, we're moving away from those pieces that feel painful in us to I'll just, again, make it all about where I'm not feeling good, I'm not good enough, all those kind of things. So I have seen that in some families I've worked with where whenever a child, you know, might be having to be accountable for something or there's a boundary that's need to be set, they will default and move straight into the I'm just dumb, I'm hopeless. So it becomes more about them being able to sit in that space than it is being able to say, oh, I made a mistake or I'm not very good at that or those kind of things. So there's many, I mean, this is a pretty complex topic, I think, because again, we all have our own unique stories and it's and we all have our own journeys. And therefore, 
I think it, you know, there may be a completely different story that's going on for your child if you're listening to this, but some of these points might make you reflect to go, actually, yeah, I can really see that in my child. They're not very good at saying, hey, I'm not good at that. Or if if you've got a child that really is, I have to be the best at stuff. If there's a really strong powerlessness feeling often where they then have to be the best or the fastest and all those kind of things sometimes they can then default into the well I'm not good enough or you know that feels too hard for me so it's it would be very interesting I think to just think about your own child of if this does come up for them what parts you are seeing with it or what parts are sitting around it um I feel like I've been talking for a long time I've still got more (laughs) bits and pieces to go but I'll I'll yeah go Mm-hmm. A little quick, um, I'm reminded of that victim, persecutor, rescuer triangle. Do you remember that? Who was that? Mm-hmm. that, did that? I'm so sorry. I'm not going to remember the name of the person who invented it. So please Google that if you'd like to, to learn who it was. Um, it wasn't Eric Byrne, was it? The games people play? I'm not sure. Um, yes. And that, what I found really helpful learning about that many years ago is that exactly as you say, the power in that victim position and I don't know if you've I remember it as a person who that was the default to go into the I can't even remember what I said to myself now but it was you know continually that that you know I'm terrible I'm this I'm that and then the other it's a very strong position to be in it's excruciatingly painful but it's yeah it's really powerful and if you are someone who perhaps is in relationship or has a family member or a friend who who defaults to that a lot or has that as you know core running theme? Um, you can often see that the the person who's trying to become who becomes the rescuer in a way is trying to change things can often feel really powerless because it, there's a there's a kind of strength in that harsh self talk. It can be very strongly it's almost like concrete or rock and it can be so so in there I do also want to say I love what you said about it being different for each person because I think sometimes sometimes that dialogue can be there to protect us from painful feelings but sometimes you know what I call the emotional stick sometimes it also creates profoundly uncomfortable feelings different types of feelings but you know shame is horrible you know guilt is horrible the the what I call the emotional bruises from those sticks can also create pain as well as trying to protect from different kinds of pain often more flowing feelings like the as you say, the sadness or the frustration or the overwhelm or the, um, the not knowing, those kinds of things. So, mm, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it's safe to say none of it feels good, right? <laughs> it's not what we want to be feeling. But, you know, as we discuss all the time on these podcasts, you know, we're, we're often always coming from a place of protection to keep ourselves safe in the, in the easiest way we know. And so if your child is doing this, um, you know, for me, I often look at it and think, okay, well, what are they protecting or what is the story that's going on underneath it that is creating creating this dialogue or these feelings that are there? And so, you know, for me, I look at, well, how do we meet it as a parent? Because, and we've talked about this in many other podcasts as well, often our knee-jerk reaction when our child is hurting or struggling is to want to fix because, when we fix it, it makes us feel better more than anything. We just like, I don't want to see you in pain. This feels really hard. If I fix it for you, I will probably feel better and, um, and you might be better and that makes me okay. So, and like any big feelings, like we talk about in aware parenting, meeting our children's tears with compassion and empathy. When we first begin doing that, it's really hard because 
depending on what we grew up with and what our story is connected to feelings, it can feel so big holding a space for our child within that. So I always remember or I remind parents to come back to curiosity, to come back to if our child has got this negative self-talk, if they're saying I'm dumb, I'm stupid, all those kind of things, how could we meet that with compassion, empathy, with curiosity and still sit deeply in our centre whilst they are sitting in their space? Because as we talk about so often in aware parenting, the emotional safety is often what helps feelings move, transmute, change, shift. But when a child, and if you think about it, and I love to book, get parents to think about what it might feel like for the child if the child is sitting there saying you know I'm dumb and I'm stupid and the parent is meeting them with an energy of like oh my god this is not okay how can you say that or no what's going to happen if you keep having these thoughts and and our default as a parent might be like no but darling you're brilliant and you are beautiful and you are amazing what does that feel like for the child What does that feel like if we come straight out with those feelings, which I know come from a really well-meaning place, but does that meet the child's needs for what's happening in that moment? And what I have learned really over these 21 years of being a parent, and it is the hardest thing to do, is to sit in those uncomfortable places with my kids, particularly my teens. You know, this is... This has been super, super incredible learning for me is that when my kids are having a really hard time to take a breath and meet them with that compassion and curiosity and say, ah, that sounds really big. Tell me more. And not move into fixing and not moving into justifying why what they're saying isn't true, but but being able to say, gosh, you sound like you don't like yourself very much at the moment. Tell me more. God, that must feel really big um, thinking that you're dumb, sweetheart. Yeah, what makes you think that? I want to hear. Tell me more. And being able to meet it from a place of curiosity and and holding and non-judgment I think serves a beautiful purpose in allowing the child on some level to go, okay, here's these feelings. I'm gauging whether it's safe enough to feel them or to even go deeper with them or even look behind them if the adult with me can hold that space, that container. So, you know, for me, the first thing is always to not make it wrong, but to sit there and say, hey, I'm curious and I'm so sorry you're feeling this way and I'm here to listen to as much as you want to say about it. And I invite you again to think about if you were a child that had that negative talk or felt that way about yourself, what is it that you would have wanted from your parent when you felt like that? What is it that you would have needed in those moments that would have helped you either connect into what was really happening or where those feelings were coming from or helped you feel safe enough to to shift or open up to whatever's happening? And I think it's a beautiful way I often think when we're thinking about where our kids are at and how we can support them. And I love this, Marion, because you often, you know, this is something I think you taught me many, many years ago of what would I have needed when I was your age? What is it that would have helped me be able to melt a little bit more into those big feelings? I also know that um, with some parents I've worked with, what can come up for them when our kids are having those reactions and thoughts is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction that says, God, don't you know how lucky you are? Like, you know, you have the easiest life ever. Like what on earth have you got to be worried about or why would you think that? Because you're actually a really 
great violin player or, you know, whatever, again, some of our projections, you know, that we look at through our own lens of our story. You have no idea how hard it was for me, right? God, I didn't have half the support and half the stuff you have. And again, that can be a beautiful inquiry into ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings of why, what may be sitting there for us as well when we meet our kids in those spaces. So um, before I hand it over to you, Marion, to talk about, I guess, the adult elements of this, um, you know, what I, again, in thinking about tools that might help adults if your children are having these inner dialogues is, as I said, to create as much safety as you can and curiosity to ask them to tell you more around what's going on. But maybe even things like tell me, Tell me what does it feel like and um, and to even perhaps even open up an inquiry around, um, which I know you're going to talk about, Marion, with just the adults and those hitting ourselves with those emotional sticks, as you say, in teaching our children about our minds and how our minds work sometimes and how we can default to these negative stories and even teaching our children some beautiful skills of when that thought comes up that says, I'm dumb, is it even real? Is it true? What could we do with that thought? Could we put it in the rubbish bin over there? And then what's something that we could do that reminds us of our power or our strength or something wonderful? I mean, children from a very young age are able to learn these beautiful skills of insight to understand their minds, you know, because our minds are constantly (laughs) playing beautiful games with us, I think. So could we give, could we help our children through inquiry into are those thoughts real what could we do with those thoughts what 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 would we want to say to those thoughts if if they're not true could we say go away thoughts or could we tell them to stay in the rubbish bin that's where you belong like what could we do to help our child find that power or or get to those places that might help them move some of their stuff and of course from an aware parenting point of view uh, you know the the elements of helping our child you know, which can balance out that powerlessness they may feel from not feeling smart or good enough or those kind of things. Power reversal games, as we always talk about, finding opportunities for our children to be bold and, you know, loud and feeling their own power. You know, can we give them more opportunities to do that, to um, to help them know that that's actually their innate nature, that they are powerful and they are magnificent and that's the truth of who they are as they learn to navigate those parts of them that say, I'm not enough or this isn't okay. How do we, how do we teach our kids from a young age to have that incredible Incredible connection to the truth of who they are so they don't have to carry these stories and, and I see that as a beautiful opportunity I, I've seen that with my teenagers for sure that as they've navigated pieces and particularly in the teen years having daughters when they've done that I'm not beautiful enough or my body isn't right or I don't fit up to a standard all those kind of things of an incredible opportunity to listen to my kids feelings to help them understand the bigger picture of the world and what it tells you you should be and look like and then brainstorm ideas with them about how they find their power within themselves and I see that as a magnificent opportunity for them to get that at a young age to help shift and transform that story so they can actually you know move into adulthood knowing the power of they of who they are so that's my little rant about um kids and how that might turn up as always though I would say as an 
adult, as a parent, if your child is um, navigating these pieces, then I highly, highly recommend some listening time, whether that is with your therapist or a empathy buddy or whatever it is, so that you get to talk about how it feels for you. And, and I think, um, as I'm sure you're about to talk about, Marion, too, of when we see this sometimes turn up with our kids, you know, that it can be definitely connected to ourselves as well. But as a parent, you know, these are big things to sometimes hold, particularly when our children are saying some pretty negative things about themselves. So being able to make sure you get lots of listening time so you can work out your piece in it, you feel resourced enough to come back, to be in that compassionate, curious place where you can sit there with your child and say, gosh, that sounds really big. Tell me more. So I, I hope that that kind of gives you perhaps a little bit of perspective or some tools to think about how we can meet children in these spaces. Mm, love that, really practical tools. Mm, I want to add as well a couple of things in terms of the power we have as parents, particularly when our children are younger and they are being so influenced by us, is I think there are two main ways in which we impact our child's inner dialogue and how they talk about themselves. Um, and the first is obviously how we talk to them. So uh, what I loved and so grateful for coming across NBC when my daughter was a baby is that I learned to think and talk in different ways as she was learning to talk. And it was such a beautiful way to practice it. So if you, if you want to look into NBC, I really recommend it in terms of um, really understanding what I love about one of the many things about Marshall's work is really understanding the difference between a thought and a feeling. Um, and the other thing, really understanding that in our culture that we generally, um, if we have feelings or needs, we, we, this, what this culture does is we either judge ourselves or we judge others. So what NBC does, it supports us to speak in a language of feelings and needs rather than a language of judgment. And that is incredibly powerful, powerful, powerful. Um, and I'm so incredibly grateful for it. And, uh, you know, NBC for me is such a pivotal foundation of my life and, you know, my consciousness. So, um, yeah, how we speak to our children really matters. They take that in. So if we're, if we're using judgments and shaming, and that might be of them, but it may be of just other people, we, you know, we might not do that to them, but we might talk about, you know, just constantly judging other people, like driving along, talking about idiots or I don't know, whatever it is, they will, they're internalizing that, especially when they're young. And the other part of that, the second part is our own inner dialogue. And I've experienced this many times with parents who are just doing everything they can to, as you said at the beginning, they might be just always, you know, darling, you're wonderful and you're this and you're that but actually their own inner dialogue is quite harsh. And even if they're not, even if we don't speak that out loud, there's a way that that osmotically gets through to our children. So I think it's a really big invitation, um, especially, and I worked with parents over the years who've seen that happening. They, they see their child saying the same things that they're saying to themselves and they realize, oh my gosh, I actually need to change that in myself in order for my child to change. I love that point because I see that a lot around body image, particularly with teens and, and not just girls, boys as well. And that, you know, as the mother figure, because I'll just talk about females for the moment, you know, often, you know, we're always, they're always watching us. They're always going, well, how do you feel about your body and what do you do and how do you dress it and how do you take care of it? And 
And then perhaps when our girls say, oh, my God, my body's not enough or it's this and that, and then the mother jumps in to go, oh, but it is. It's, you know, but what we've watched is, you know, complete judgment of our bodies or saying it's not okay or berating it or, you know, that that is exactly what you're saying. That is that is the inner dialogue that's going on. That's what it looks like. This is how we should treat our body. This is what it is. And I think that is just such a beautiful thing to be really gentle with yourself around is that particularly for women because body image is just, gosh, it's such a loud, loud, loud dialogue in our culture and um, and and is that internal dialogue one you have and can you see that turning up in your children and your daughters? And, it, look, I have to say for me when I had a daughter it was a massive game changer because I remember thinking, gosh, who she is as a woman in the world is going to be based on me. And so where are these sweet spots for me and body image and how I look, all of that kind of stuff was definitely one of the places where I lost a lot of my energy and went, wow, how do I model what it feels like to deeply love and cherish myself. And she was a really beautiful game changer in that for me to, to shift that. And um, I see now my daughters are 13 and 18. I see the way they carry themselves and the pride they have in their body. I didn't have any of that when I was a teenager. And I think, okay, we've done some beautiful work here because their acceptance and love of their bodies and each other's bodies and all those kind of things and everybody's bodies, you know, they, they love it. They're really passionate about, you know, deep acceptance of humanness. And um, I, I see that, that that was something that was super, super important to do. Mm, yeah, I so agree with you on that. And the other thing is, is our inner dialogue also profoundly affects all our behaviours. You know, what the things that we're willing to put up with, the ways that other people may treat us, the the ways that we silence ourselves, you know, all of the, the ways that our little ones right from babyhood are observing us exactly as you said, they're observing us and they're taking in and they're learning and our inner dialogue affects everything. So I think it really is uh, rather than as another opportunity to pick up more sticks and uh, more self-judgment about what we might be doing around that is the biggest invitation in ways that we may, we may not have been willing to face these things. We may not have been willing to change when we see the impact or the potential impact on our children and we remember we understand how excruciatingly painful it is to for example judge our bodies and we don't want that for them it's the most wonderful invitation to really shift that for ourselves so that they can have a profoundly different experience such a wonderful thing such a one of the many gifts our children bring to us <laughs> they bring all the gifts they bring all <laughs> the gifts <laughs> <laughs> just if so, isn't it? If you want to, if you want to work through your whole story, just have a child <laughs> and let them bring all the pieces that need healing to the surface. It's like here it is. You don't have to look very hard, do you? Nope. Yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah. So, do you want to talk a little bit more then, Marion, about you know, as the adult, those those inner harsh words that we might have, and you know, do you want to talk a little bit more about? you know, your work and, and how how we can help to shift and move some of that. Oh, well, what I love is, that, you know, this really came about through my passion for aware parenting, but also NBC and other things that I've loved in my life is that what I realized after time, because I was working with women, mothers in particular, who, as I say, they were, they were meeting their children's needs and they were listening to feelings and they weren't using punishments and rewards and they were doing all the things. And yet what I saw is they were doing the opposite for themselves. They weren't meeting their own needs or valuing them. They weren't listening to the feelings. They were judging themselves. If they had big feelings showing up, um, you know, they were 
punishing themselves with guilt and self-judgment. And so I really saw that the opportunity is, and actually the wonderful thing is, and I so often remember when, when mothers in particular get this point is that if you're practicing aware parenting and you, and you are kind of understand the principles and you're aiming to do that, of course, none of us is going to be able to do it all the time, but you know, as much as we can, if we're responding those ways to our children is then we can actually just do a little uh, 180 degree turn and actually start offering those to ourselves. And really that was the basis of the, my inner loving presence process that I developed because what I realized is that, you know, all the things I said to my children, I could actually start saying those to the younger parts of me in the way. So I was listening to, to them, I could listen to myself. So, you know, rather than, you know, I can't, again, I can't even remember the harsh things I would say, but maybe, you know, you're so stupid because you can't do that. would be like, I would never say that to my child. What would I say instead? And so a really simple little thing, even if you don't get into the ILPP is if you're in that situation Sorry, if your child was in that the situation you're in now, when you're partially judging yourself, what would you say to them? And to actually start um, replacing gradually the inner dialogue, and it's completely replaceable. And it's not this isn't spiritual bypassing because we're still listening to the painful feelings, we're still listening to the younger parts. But it's the this is really just internalized that our inner harsh self-judgment is just internalized from the outside the way i see it is what was external becomes internal what is internal becomes external it's it's reflected in our relationships and we'll tend to then feel really comfortable you know i know for me uh my when my inner dialogue was so harsh i would um you know for example boyfriends would be really harsh to me and it was really painful but it was a complete match and I was totally willing to put up with it. And day after day, I remember just being so upset, you know, that they were talking to me like this, but I was completely willing for that because that was what I knew. And um, so what we can do is as we gradually change, we change that internally, we change what we're willing for externally. We're no longer willing to be treated harshly. We're no longer willing for, you know, whatever it was. And that profoundly changes our relationships. And that is fundamentally possible. And one of the most empowering things that we can do, I think, and I've found it incredible, incredible healing has happened through, through the internal shifts and then the external shifts. I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't have relationships that I have now, like my friendships, you know, like with you, for example, now the, you know, the love and the support. And, you know, when we are, if we're in, if our, in a dialogue is harsh, we may find it really hard to receive love and compassion and support and empathy because it helps us connect with all the times we we receive something different externally. So often that's the way in is, um, and part of this, this work that I do is, you know, if you're finding it hard to say something enjoyable to yourself or receive something enjoyable for someone else is to to actually get to say all the things you would like to say which might be I don't believe you or go away or you don't really love me or so we actually get to say the things that we would have wanted to say as younger people when we first heard that judgment when we first heard that harsh word and I think there's something really powerful as well about really getting to the point where you know, you know, when a, when a, some kind of inner dialogue has just been repeating and looping and we're so familiar with it that it seems like it's true and it seems like it's us. And when we actually start to realize, gosh, that harsh thought is not me, it's not true. And, and once upon a time, I was a little child who was full of joy and love and that wondrousness, you know, I feel touched to tears, you know, when you see a, 
a little toddler just standing up and they're just with the natural inbuilt joy of like, here I am and I'm standing up and isn't that amazing? You know, aren't I wonderful? And someone says, uh, you know, a shaming statement or a judgment. And the very first time we heard that, the crushing hurt, the excruciating pain. I mean, it's it's horrific. And I know, I'm sure, I know you have too. All the inner work I've done when I've gone back to those moments as a child, you know, often they're, you know, open, open, loving heart, just wanting to meet the world. And this, this kind of arrow of the judgment and the shame and how painful that is. It's like a, a wound to the soul. And this what does invite and require us to also go back and so that rather than this habituated oh you know it's fine you know I call myself stupid or whatever it is and that's just how it is to actually feel oh my god how painful was it the first time we heard that there was a word stupid and that someone said it to us or we saw it happening in the classroom or to our sister or whatever it was and this is painful and so I think it goes back to that beautiful uh, piece that you were talking about earlier is um Although in the long term it means less pain, more joy through less sticks, we often really need to face that those original experiences of what was actually like for us. And when we do that, we're also far less likely or willing to want to do that to anybody else, especially a little gorgeous child there with the, you know, in that beautiful open state. To why would we ever want to do that to any being? I love that so much. And as you're talking, it's, you know, for me, my own um, inner process, it often used to turn up for me around um, not so much in relationships, but would turn up in work stuff. Oh, I'm not very smart or I didn't do this or, oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. That's often where my inner critic would come in and feel like I'm not good enough. And um, I started just with saying a statement to myself, what would compassion look like right now? Or what would love look like right now? So I've got that thought going on. And then even in saying that statement to myself, what would compassion look like right now? It would make me stop for a minute and go, well, compassion would look like, oh, my God, look how brave you are for just getting up and having a go. Or, oh, my God, look at look at you just being out in the world trying to, you know, do new things. Or it would find places that was just like none of that is true. And compassion, and even if I only started with 5% of compassion, just a little bit in, you know, I couldn't go from having those thoughts around myself of negativity. I couldn't do a whole 100% blanket love. You're amazing. You're the light. You are the best, right? That was too far a stretch. I couldn't get there. So I had to start with just a tiny little bit, just a tiny bit of compassion to say, yeah, I can see that you're beating yourself up. I can see you think you're not clever enough, Um, but I'm just going to chuck in 5 or 10% of compassion and just try that on for a little bit and see how it feels and then gradually it gets bigger and bigger to the point that whenever I had one of those thoughts I'd be like whatever see ya (laughs) I could just be like you're not real I'm just setting a serious loving limit boundary around that I'm just not going to even allow that in because um it's not true because the truth of it as you just said then is we wouldn't set a, a beautiful child in their absolute brilliance and uniqueness and magnificence is born enough. And we are still that. We are all still that. We've just been conditioned to believe we're not, or we've just forgotten. And that is actually the truth that we, all of us are enough. Just purely by the fact that you were born, you're enough. 
And so much of, I think, is our work of the work is undoing those pieces, whether it's society or our parents or our schooling system to come back to those places where we know that we are actually enough. And, you know, for me, when we're raising our children with the way parenting, then what we're doing is we're working to equip our children to have a different experience, but also insight into perhaps the way that the world works and perhaps where people project their pain and giving them spaces to express those big feelings so that if a beautiful four-year-old is dancing in the lounge room and they're fantastic and then somebody comes in and goes, oh, God, you're such a show-off, and we see that and we witness it in that moment that we're able to be there and attune to them and go, oh, honey, that sounds like that didn't feel so good. And we're able to hold a space for them to perhaps process those feelings in that moment, to allow them to cry, to, to give them that beautiful holding and understanding to say, yes, gosh, that felt really hard and really yucky. And what do you want to say back to that person? And what is it that you need to remind yourself that actually you're magnificent? You know, perhaps we're parenting. What we do is we keep giving our children opportunities to move those experiences sooner when they happen so they don't have to carry them and internalize them and end up in therapy as adults Mm, I love how you articulate that I can almost imagine it's kind of like an arrow isn't it it's not like a stick it's like an arrow and it goes in and if the wound is tended to promptly as you say if we if we listen to them and the shock and the pain and the the then the arrow is pulled out and the, the the hurt is felt Love it. Mm. Very powerful if we could do that because as you as we look at the world even now and all the internalized self-criticism and harshness, which as you said so beautifully, if we feel that way about ourselves, we are often going to take that out into the world. And you know, the one thing I was saying about compassion for me, starting with what would compassion look like, the more I did that compassion process for myself, the more compassionate I became with everybody, with everybody. Like it's almost like judgment just kind of moved because it, it was just, oh gosh, we are all doing the best job we know how, and we've all got our hurts and it, and that compassion just seemed to float into many, many other places. And it became easy to respond from compassion instead of judgment or harshness. Because as you say, when we, when we work with it internally, then it can reflect back to us externally. It's so powerful, isn't it? I find that so often in people working with the ILPP workers, they sometimes think, oh, but if I'm going to be more loving to myself, does that mean I'm going to receive less love from the outside? Oh. And what I always, is then they come back with a story like, oh, you know, I listened in with my inner beloved around something or, you know, as I've talked about, have that, you know, in, in, love, in a loving version of my ex-husband who I get on really well with, but sometimes I just really want to hear something in particular. And then what happens is they'd often come back mentees and say, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. But you know, after I did this this amazing thing with my inner loving mother, my mother then came and listened to me with empathy in a way she never has. Or, you know, I had my inner beloved listen to me and then my partner came and actually, uh, you know, said this and I'm, you know, he's never said that before. It just is so powerful. We really are incredibly powerful in terms of, you know, our own capacity to change our relationships through internally changing our internal relationships 
So true. It's just reminded me just last night, actually, my husband, who's been moving through some beautiful, powerful work um, through this lockdown, has brought up lots of stuff for him about his family. And he's been really diving deep into some big stuff and letting go of some things. And he shared with his father a week ago, you know, this is what's going on for me. I'm having a hard time. This is what I'm dealing with looking at. And his father's not one to emotionally connect at all and then a few days later his father came back and said I just wanted to check in that you're okay and I really admire you and I love that you're looking at like just all the things he's never heard his whole life from his father and his father came back and just said it and Mike was just sitting there going wow that's just amazing and he just said thanks dad like and he goes but I almost didn't need it anymore I didn't even need those words I would have maybe needed them 10 years ago I didn't even need them because I'm doing it inside. It was beautiful to hear, but, you know, it was really, it was amazing to watch actually just how quickly that shifted. So beautiful. Mm. Powerful stuff. All right. Um, what's your what's your offering for, um, for people? And also do you want to tell them about your course, your inner loving power? No, your even any little bit of loving um, I would love to. <laughs> What's, what's the invitation? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I actually just am closing my eyes now myself. I invite you to close your eyes and notice what you're feeling and what you're thinking right now because this can, yeah, this can start really big things. It's really normal and natural in this culture to have a lot of harsh inner dialogue. And, and how do you feel when you hear us share about how possible it is for that to be different? And is that familiar to you? And would you like that? That would be one question. And number two, yes, my inner loving presence process course, which is a whole um, way of, uh, well, there's two main parts of it really. One is connecting with that, these inner loving presences within us who can respond not only with compassionate inner dialogue, but also with loving presence. And the second one is then actually inviting those to go back and so support us in when feelings come up in the present moments that are about the past that we actually go back and almost like a little psychological time machine and go back and um, you know really hear those younger parts in ways that bring great healing and that affect the present again so that's that mm. how about you and your two what have you, what would you um yeah. well I think for me I I would just come back to if you if you have a child who is um, speaking this way perhaps about themselves or you're witnessing it in your child, can you meet them with compassion and curiosity and can you tune into how it feels for you and what may be alive for you and, and just some of the themes that we've talked about today of, you know, is that part of your in a dialogue at this moment is there a great need to fix it what perhaps are we making it safe enough for our kids to feel what may be sitting behind some of these feelings so the curiosity to to meet your child or even just yourself in those spaces perhaps again you may remember feeling like that as a child and what may have you needed um, oh, look, I think for this podcast, Marion, people should just go do your course. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't really have anything to offer. Um, I just think they should go do your course and, and this because it's such a powerful process to do. And um, that was a big game changer for me when, you know, um, this piece of the that loving process for ourselves, it really is so very powerful as a parent in what it can shift. So I would just tell everybody to go do that because I think it's really, really important. And um 
And as always, what I think comes back to this, you know, we talk about so often doing the work as a parent, you know, the gift, the greatest gift we can give our children is to do our work. And so as we've mentioned today, there are so many opportunities for our children to to invite us into looking into our stories and what places need to be healed. And um, I just think that is just such a gift to our children because the more we do, the less they have to carry. That's how I see it. I just don't want my kids to have to carry heavy backpacks of our crap. So I'm like, let me do as much as I can to shift any of that. So you are as free as you need to be or can be to go live the life you want to live. That's how I see it. I always see it like that. What's mine here? What can I look at? What do I lean into? How do I help them be on their own journey and be free to be who they need to be? That to me is what I want for my children. So, yeah. It's so beautiful. I um, That's that meme, isn't it? What did you say? The more I do, the less they carry, something like that. Mm, gorgeous. Mm, yeah. 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 I I often think that I love that. I I just love those visuals of just like holding us carrying all our stuff and then just placing a bit more on them. And they're like, get off. I don't want this. And they push it back at us. And then we went, why are you misbehaving? And they're like, because they're trying to say, carry your own crap, mum. I'm not carrying it for you. (laughs) I love that. I love that visual. It always makes me laugh because, you know, it's so, yeah. They're just such our teachers, right? We often think we're here to teach our kids, but they're really like, oh, <laughs> let me help you sort out your stuff, <laughs> parent. <laughs> so, yeah. I love yeah. I'm going with your visual a bit longer is um, when, once we've done a whole bit and we're like, oh, my backpack's getting a lot emptier. And they're like, yeah, yeah here's some more. <laughs> You've got some more space. Have yeah. some more. And that's what I love about Aware Parenting so much is that we don't just listen to our kids' feelings when they're little and go, okay, we're done, we're right, right? They're going to keep growing and getting older, which is going to tap us into seven-year-old us and 10-year-old us, and then we get to do puberty, my favourite part, and then we get the teenage years and we have all those pieces that are going to keep asking us to look at look at what that means. I mean, I just was saying to Marion before, my son who's 21 is getting ready to move out of home, and I just I said to you, Marion, I go, I thought I was totally cool with this. I feel like I've let him go, go be your own person, and all of a sudden I've got all this like grief and sadness and I'm like no my baby don't go and I'm like what the hell where is this coming from but I'm like all right there's more stuff there I'm having this reaction as he's you know ready to spread his wings which I want him to do but I can just see that there's something else I can feel it totally is taking me back to when he was a little baby and I'm like oh god okay (laughs) let's go oh bless bless our beautiful children yeah yes Mm. our beautiful selves it's a that's um that's from that musical isn't it bless your beautiful soul i don't i don't know that one (laughs) but i'll take you home or something oh okay okay Okay, beautiful. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, please um, please send us a message if there's a topic you'd like us to cover. We love to um, explore or go deeper. So if there's something you'd like us to talk about, um, we'd be very happy to do it. And thank you for listening and sharing and all your beautiful comments. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. Mm, yes, thank you so much and so much love to you. 
Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.